trying to be more like Christ, right? Is that you? Yeah, good. I'm just checking. I'm going to make sure I've come to church this morning. Um, you're allowed to talk back to the pastor. It's quite okay. Um, and last week we talked about that you are, I am, shaped uh, for service, that there should be a aspect of our Christian uh, discipleship um, about service. And today we're going to focus in on um, we are, you are made for mission. You are made for mission. And I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. And part of the first scripture I want you to turn to is John chapter 17. John 17 is um, Jesus talking to his father. Um, In my Bible, it talks about the prayer of Jesus. It's a whole chapter about Jesus praying to the father. Hopefully you had a good Saturday. Did you have a good Saturday? Yeah, good. The sun was out, hey? Any, anyone get sunburnt? Yeah, yes, me too. My arms are like lobsters underneath these jacket there. I did use sunscreen, um, but you can tell where I didn't use it, um, um, which is interesting. Uh, John 17, Jesus talking to a prayer to his father, and he says this, fascinating, verse 18. He says, just as you sent me into the world... I am sending them into the world. Who's them? Well, that's us. But Jesus saying exactly the same pattern that Jesus entered into this world and his works that he did is the same expectation that he has then for us. Now, I would assume, though, that as part of that strategy, we don't need to be born in a manger. Um, that you don't have to hang out as a newborn infant in the, in the animal stall, that Jesus was really talking about um, his mission that he had on planet Earth is the, exactly the same mission he had is the same mission we should have. Um, last week we talked about the need for, or I suppose not the need, but to be honest, I'd say the maturity about Christian believers to take some um, aspect of of ministry serving in the church. See, in my house, um, one of the chores, if that's the right Aussie word, I don't know what the Aussie word is, I know that's the American word, jobs that I have. Thank you, uh, Steve, uh, Jess, um, uh, for correcting me there. is I have to uh, and unpack the dishwasher every morning. It, it's quite okay. It's quite okay. I like that job. Um, but the reason why I like that job is because at night time when I put the dishwasher on, I rearrange all the dirty plates in the dishwasher so that the next morning they come out clean. Because I don't know whether you found um, those people who have no orientation to dishwasher, you won't understand this at all, that if you don't pack it right, it won't come out clean. And anyone on the same strategy as me? See, I'm going to go home and tell Darlene, there's people just like me. Because when she sees me, I have to sort of do it in secret. I wait for it to go down the hallway and then I rearrange the dirty dishwasher because if she sees me rearranging the dirty dishwasher, I get into trouble. She says, just let it do its work. 
Um, but then I have to unpack it in the morning, which means that I've got to do a sorting between those the things that are clean and those things that are partially clean. Do you feel my pain? Yeah, well, see, that's one of my jobs. And in any family, any family, a healthy family, everybody does a job. In this community of faith family, my encouragement to you is that we all can and should do some sort of chore. That's a good thing. It actually helps the family function. But today we're going to move that a little bit further. We're going to say that not only are we a family of believers, which we minister to each other in, but we should also be on mission to unbelievers. So ministry to believers and mission to unbelievers. That that is an aspect of the body of Christ, the family of God. That we are, I believe, all called to have a custom mission, but then collectively together we are also on common mission. That there's things that we do together, but there's also some things that we do uniquely that God has called us to. Um, just sort of noticing some of the faces here this morning, I noticed Nari and Michael Ivory. Um, and, and I just thought about, as I was saying those words, a custom mission. Um, when I think particularly about Michael, there's something about his life that stands out that he loves about mission. Nari, if you didn't know, um, and Michael were leading our Peninsula campus for many years. How, how many years? Six years. Um, well done to you guys. And they've handed that over to a young couple down there who are doing a great job. So welcome to Maitland today. Um, we want to give them a big cheer. Why don't you give them a big cheer? They're obviously up here checking you out. Um, <laughs> we're family, of course. We're, of course, we're welcome to Maitland. Um, all of us have custom mission, as I pointed out, that Michael does. There's something about you that only you can do. Um, one of the things that quite a number of years ago, over 15 years ago, maybe longer, um, or maybe much longer, I started a company, um, a for-profit company, to do media work. Um, it's called 4B Media, that's irrelevant, but part of that company is that we developed a training package where people could do a diploma of um, screen and media as part of their employment. And we did that very specifically because we wanted to develop young people to be media missionaries, right? So that they would go and they would leave us as their employment and go and work somewhere else as a Christian that was working in the secular media endeavor. See, this is a custom mission that specifically that expresses who I am. Um, there's something, though, about you that's unique to what I believe God has called you to do. That's different to me. And yet there's other things that we do collectively together that are very clearly um, the one thing. We, you know, next year, Steve's coordinating a whole lot of mission overseas where we're all going collectively. India, Cambodia, Rwanda, Vanuatu, 
that's all we're going to, right? That's enough, I think, anyway. Um, Whereas a church, we've got these Go programs as well as different local programs as well where we're collectively, the common mission for us at Hope You See is to go those ministries. So you've got to understand what's your custom mission and what's your common mission. Jesus in John chapter 20, if you want to flick there, a couple chapters over from where we were, um, Jesus again saying, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Um, Yet this is an area, I believe, of church life that people feel um, concerned about, worried about, or it seems like it's the last discipleship action to activate in their life. Imagine as a lifetime as a Christian, if you never prayed, how would that look and feel? Imagine as a Christian in your discipleship practice that you never gathered with other believers. Imagine as a a Christian disciple that uh, over all of your years that you never actually tithed or gave offerings. What would that be what would that speak to as your, as your faith? And dare I say then, as a Christian disciple, imagine if you never did mission. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. When I hear that phrase, it asks some obvious questions, which maybe they're not that obvious, but when you break it down, you start to think, well, Jesus is sending me. Um, I wonder what I'm, what I'm supposed to do when I'm sent. I'm wondering where I should go when I'm sent. I'm wondering how I should carry myself when I'm sent. What should I say when I'm sent? And see, Paul, the Apostle Paul in um, Acts chapter 20, he actually helps clarify are more about what Jesus is talking about in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. Paul says very specifically, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. Everybody has a custom mission. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Here he is telling us specifically what it is that we should do when we go on either custom mission or common mission. The good news. We're going to tell people about the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I mean, another word that you would have heard if you've been in church life more than just a couple of years, you would have heard this word called evangelism. It's actually a Greek word and it comes from, and the meaning of this word evangelism, I should say, is just very um, straightforward. It just means good news. So when we talk about um, Paul going out in Acts chapter 20, we're saying that we've got to talk about and share with people the grace of God, which is the good news. That is called evangelism, telling people about God's grace. Um, I mean, we all have experience as believers. We go, God loves me. At some point in your conversion, you would have had to understand that, that God loves me. 
that then, as we've been talking about, and is a reminder to many of you, that God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, that we were not accidents, that there's something about our time in this year, this season that we're in, 2022, that God has expectations for us. Yes, you can refuse them. You can refute them. Um, but again, you'll be actually bumping up against God's will. But there are plans and purposes for every one of us. And one of those plans, by the way, is for us, as the Apostle Paul has said, to go and tell people, evangelize about the good news. Well, you might be then thinking, well, okay, I buy into that. It's a Christian discipleship practice. I understand that Jesus has told me to mirror the same pattern that he did. It, Apostle Paul also tells me that I can't complete my race. I can't do my life good unless there's an aspect about my life that shares good news with other people. So... Maybe another not-so-obvious question is, what should I share? How should I share it? That the, If we're going to actually um, lean into this practice, what could it be? Well, in Acts chapter 1 is, again, a very clear um, mandate for us around this area. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and it says this, "...but you will receive power..." When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So again, here is the answer to that question about what should I share? This scripture is clearly saying you've just got to be a witness. Well, the Bible talks about being a witness in Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? As I said earlier, you're allowed to talk back to the preacher. I know for a fact there's probably a very good chance there's a school teacher in the room who knows the answer to this question. Uh, Israel, thank you. Thank you. Yes. Jerusalem is in Israel. When this scripture, when this moment that Acts chapter 1 is describing, these people that this verse speaks to, they were located in Jerusalem. Yes, everyone's nervous about getting the, the answer wrong. Don't, I'm setting you up for a win every time. Don't be nervous, okay? Jerusalem is in Israel. This Bible verse records this moment of the Holy Spirit interaction with people in Jerusalem. What the scripture was telling the people to do was to witness to the people in their home, in their neighborhoods, 
in their streets, in their businesses, in their shopping, in their interactions about where they live. Jerusalem is simply the descriptor in the description to say their ha- their homes. And so here we are in this area, this region. Again, the encouragement to you is to be witnesses in Maitland, in Thornton, in Bawara Heights, in in Rutherford, in Woodbury, of course, Woodbury, of course. That's your Jerusalem. That's your Jerusalem. Start with the people closest to you, the ones in your own community, the ones in your own street, the ones in your own places where you interact. This was the encouragement. And after that, then go to Judea and then go to Samaria, which is like going to another country, a different culture, a different experience because, see, in Jerusalem they had a way of operating. Judea had a different way of operating and Samaria was actually a culturally opposed country to the way that Jerusalem existed. Different dynamics altogether. But Jerusalem was number one. Well, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, the Scripture is encouraging us to be witness. Not to be, you know, if you think about a court case, and I can see a couple lawyers in the room here, not to be the defence attorney, not to be the prosecutor, not to be, um, not to be the salesman for God. That's not the, what the scripture talks about. Not to be the defender of everything God does. You don't have to be those things. The only thing that you do have to be is to be a. See, easy questions. Easy questions. I mean, if we had to do trivia here, you guys. If I wrote the questions, you'd all be winners. See, I think one of the things, reasons why people find it difficult to actually evangelize, if we use that phrase, or whether we use the phrase someone who is a witness of the good news, is everybody is in fear of actually worried about answering theological questions. Can Can I just help you out here a little bit? It is nobody knows all of the theological principles embedded in God's Word. Our God that we worship cannot, be, cannot fit into a systematic theology textbook. He's much bigger than that. Yet God is real to you. He's changed your life. He's actually ministered to you. And if you are to be a witness... You've just got to tell what you've seen, what you saw, and how it felt. That's the only obligation embedded into the Scriptures. Nothing more, nothing less. People get messed up when they actually try to be clever about being an evangelist. I remember I was sorting out some books in my library just um, this last couple of weeks, and I found um, a training manual 
that in 19, I think it was 79, I, I um, did a course with Bill Newman Crusades on how to be a witness, how to actually convey the four spiritual laws. This was the evangelism technique back then. Um, hope so glad that we've graduated on since then. Imagine preaching on the corners at the shopping centre up here saying, I've got some good news for you. Um, I want to unpack the four um, spiritual laws for you. So good news and law don't seem to always go in the same sentence. Um, see, God is a God of grace. And he's transformed your life and he's transformed my life. See, you are the expert of you. You know every nook and cranny, every twist and turn, every up and down. And that is what I believe the scripture is asking you to be the witness of. See, we all started our life's journey, our spiritual life, at point number one which was this moment of conversion. With the goal, the end goal, by the way, is over here at point number 10, which is in the heavenly realms, um, when, when we've well, done our, our service on planet Earth and we're living with and worshipping the God in heaven, in heaven. And yet most of us, because I can see you're all breathing here, um, are really at point somewhere between point four and point seven that there's this middle space where we are, that we haven't reached the destination yet, and yet most of us somehow expect ourselves to be witnesses to 10, and actually we're living at six. See, all that God is asking you is to witness where you're at, because we've got this some, somewhat other messed up picture. And I want to paint the picture and then pull it apart. That the picture is that our lives, your life, my life, is somehow this beautiful teal box, which happens to be the same colours as the Tiffany shopping bags. And there's this beautiful little ribbon wrapped around it, beautifully neat. And we present that box to people and say, look what God has done for me. Yet the reality is, the reality is I'm in the middle of a miracle that hasn't happened yet. That somehow or other, um, yes, I've moved on from one and yet I'm still not at 10, but I'm actually at six, seven or maybe four for you. I don't know where you're at, but again, all that God is saying to you is to be a witness to where you're at. You don't have to paint Disneyland endings about how your life's worked out. Oh, look, the boy met the girl and they kissed and they lived happily ever after forever. Or maybe the girl met the boy and they kissed and they lived happily ever after. That's not what God is asking you to do. He's saying, be a witness to where you're at. The irony to that is most people reject the Tiffany's box and the reason why is because they're reasonably smart enough to say life doesn't go that way. But what they will say is they'll accept the reality of your testimony because they go, I can relate to you. I can relate that st the story isn't done yet. I can relate that you're in the middle of something that you're believing God for. I can relate that you've moved though from one to six 
And that's remarkable and supernatural. And that while ever you are in pain, that you can still be someone filled with joy and hope and love all at the same time. And people will probably ask you questions like, how do you do it? That's a deeply spiritual, inquisitive question, typically by unsaved people. All you have to do is be a witness. You don't have to paint it up, polish it up. Just tell it exactly as it is. Tell the facts about what it means. Our job is to be a witness. Nothing more, nothing less. Why does he ask us to do this? Is it because it'll help us? Is it because he needs more salesmen? Why does God ask us to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria? God is desperate to build his family. To build a family of people who um, he can love and trust and that they can also love and trust him. So that because he wants to spend eternity with them. See, the whole point, remember, about God building a family is that we get to live with him forever and forever, forevermore. And strangely enough, God's only strategy for building his family is you being a witness, for me being a witness. Personally, I wouldn't have designed it that way. But here we are. That's God's plan. His eternity plan is you. That's it. There's no plan B. There's no plan C. Yet that's what he's asking us and encouraging us and drawing us into. That's why his Holy Spirit is at work on people's hearts out there ready for you to witness what God is doing in your life today. God has put the future of his church, this spiritual community of faith, clearly in your hands. Not Pastor Steve and Jess's hands, your hands. Now, we'll do our best to help you, to empower you, to grow you, to teach you, to give you tools so that you can be witnesses. For example, next year, don't forget, Lent, we'll be having a massive campaign. Can we pray for you? Question mark. But that's a great tool for you to be a witness. So many testimonies about that campaign, which I love, is people um, going along their street, their street, and putting those leaflets in people's letterbox. At which point, I love this, people come charging out the front door, down the steps, to say, what are you putting in my letterbox? With this appearance of an aggressive tone. Most people who are witnessing by putting those leaflets in the letterbox stand back on the back foot and go, well, it's just, well, it's just something from our church that we're saying that we're willing and wanting to pray for people's needs. 
At which point, usually, I'd say nine out of ten, people go, oh, well, could you pray for my sister? We've just found out she had a bad health report last week. And by the way, my, 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 my child is really struggling in school and not fitting in. I just don't know what to do. Can you please pray for him? See, being a witness is just being in that moment. Um, last couple of weeks, I, I met a guy and he says to me, he, he, he's not a believer, as far as I know, and he says, so he knows I'm a pastor. And he says, so he asked, he sat down and had this deep questioning look in his eyes and he said, did God organize the war in Ukraine? And I said, no, God can't do that. And, um, and I said, he says, well, I don't understand. And, and I said, well, look, because um, I didn't want to use religious or church language. I said, there's, there's dysfunction in us, right? In you and me. And see, he goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. See, I didn't use the word sin. I used the word dysfunction. Because to him, the word sin would have met some other experience. And I said, then there's a whole bunch of people with dysfunction in that part of the world. And of course, if you get enough dysfunction together, then you get really dysfunctional countries and governments. And of course, then a war comes out. I said, the, the weird thing about all of that, mate, is God didn't cause the war, but he can use the war for good. And he goes, well, what do you mean? I says, well, my cousin actually lives in Kiev. And I was just talking to him this last few weeks, and he's got a church there, and they're, they're getting bombed and shelled. Um, rockets are coming in. He said, but the, the church that he's a part of, they're actually serving the village in their area and they've figured out a way where they're going to build this new machine where they can provide heat for their village where they can take wood chips and convert it and make electricity and do all these things he said so we just originally had built it for our church but now we're going to build it for the whole community and he says and, we, and he was he was Wayne was saying and if we can get this right we could duplicate this all across the Ukraine so God can use the ugliest of situations and somehow, I don't know how he does it, bring something beautiful out of it. Witnessing is just telling other people about what God has done in your life so far. See, Jesus healed a guy saved a guy in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 8. And he, this is what he says. He said, go back home to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went throughout the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Don't tell people what he hasn't done. Only tell them what he has done. Right at home in your neighbourhood, in your community. See, I think one of the reasons people, again, are a bit fearful about becoming a witness is they've probably 
believe the myth that people aren't interested in spiritual issues. Yet nothing could be further from the truth. Look, let's be honest, people aren't interested in hard-nosed religion or debating um, the popularised topics of the day. Because we've got our topics today, I can tell you in another 20 years, there'll be a different range of topics. But everyone, every single person has spiritual curiosity. Like I said to you, my friend, he sat me down on a box. We sat down on these two boxes and he, he looked at me intently in the eye and went, I don't understand. Mark, please explain how there could be a war. He wanted answers. Now, I didn't use Christian language. I didn't say, yes, well, some of us have been washed in the blood. <laughs> Imagine if I went down to Terrigal Football Club on a Saturday and volunteered there and wanted to help and serve that club. And, and someone says, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And they says, oh, tell me about that. Well, he says, well, I'm washed in the blood. You could imagine there'd be an immediate um, reaction to that to say, get that weird guy out of here. Don't let him anywhere near the, the kids um, because he's just talking rubbish. See, to be a witness, don't use church language. Use different language that people relate to. The Bible, Jesus even encourages, he says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, and I'm finishing. He says, look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and harmless as doves. Let me unpack that for you for a second. Sheep in the midst of wolves really, suppose, speaks to some intelligence about what a sheep would have to do to actually live amongst the wolves. Because if he was naive and just went up and spoke um, stupid stuff to a wolf, you could imagine what the result might be, is you and me, we need to understand the environment that we're in. If you have no EQ about that, you are going to be a bull in a china shop and we know what the result of that is. The scripture also says, be wise as serpents, which means that you need to watch your language. There's this idea again that um, there's, no, there's no use me standing on the street corner up here at the roundabout, standing on a box and preaching about um, yelling and screaming and getting angry at people and trying to say God loves you. How does anger and love all relate to a person who doesn't know Christ? How does that actually bring them into the kingdom? For most people, it repels them. Watch your language. And the third point about, I believe, what Jesus is teaching us there is to be harmless as doves, which I think speaks to the motive. Why would, am I witnessing to this person? Why, why is, it, is this the right time for them? If I might feel the compulsion to, but are they in the right frame to listen? Uh, watching my motives. Am I, am I just trying to get more people in the front door and I can show Pastor Steve so that if I can bring a new convert every week, maybe I'm up for the gold nomi this year? 
What's your motive? If you're trying to draw them into the kingdom, pick the right time. Pick the right way. Rather than just crashing in on their world and not understanding what's going on. God's calling each one of us to be simply a witness in the moments that we are. We haven't even talked about Judea or Samaria. All I've been talking about is Jerusalem. I've, I've many more things there to say, but I'm, I'm done this morning. But why don't you, could I pray for you? Would you mind standing when you, where you are? Thank you. Like the first service while I was preaching, I just felt like there was people here this morning that as I'm talking, the Bible uses this expression, I love this expression, and I feel like it's appropriate for the today, is your hearts are strangely warmed. I'm talking to Christians this morning where this idea of being a witness, being someone who talks about God's uh, good news, that you're going, yeah, the way you've described it, I can do that. But I've resisted or even rejected the idea of being an evangelist for whatever reason, because I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, share your life story about what God's done for you up to now. Whether it's got a happy ending so far or in you're in the middle of that or you're believing for that. Or maybe you do have a happy ending to a season of your life. That's fantastic. But I just believe God's calling people up in this space this morning. And I just want to pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah, good. Holy Spirit, you know everybody here. You know every journey, every story, every twist and turn, up and down, left and right. Holy Spirit, I pray that as people's hearts here are warmed, warmed by the, by, by the adventure of growing your kingdom, Father, that as they take on board this mandate, this re-understanding about being a witness in their Jerusalem, I pray that you will orchestrate circumstances around them for interesting spiritual questions where they have the opportunity to draw people closer to you. Father, I pray that they will also be emboldened, that they'll ask spiritually interesting questions of the people around them in their Jerusalem. We declare it, we believe for it, that there'll be many people brought into your kingdom because of these people emboldened to be witnesses in their Jerusalem. In your powerful and strong name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.